Hello and welcome to Research, Rank, and Repeat. I am one of your hosts, Alyssa. I am Hannah. Our other host. Yes. <laughs> you could introduce yourself as a host if you want to. Well, you're not a guest. I don't consider myself a host. Okay. But. Well, we... Okay. Well, <laughs> great. But yeah. today, we're back again, going back to Cora. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to book two. We're here we're at here. book two, and oh boy, oh boys, right? I gotta tell you, when we were talking about doing this and watching it together, I was dreading getting to book two. I understand why. We'll get into more as we go on, but there are a lot of good highs, but there are also a lot of low yeah. lows. Um, let's just start out. I got a little description. So it's book two, Spirits, with the spirit and human worlds colliding. Team Avatar embark on a journey, diving deep into the mythology of the mystical spirit world, encountering creatures like nothing they've ever seen before, and discovering the truth about the very first Avatar. Um, I should say this is from Amazon. It's a description we got from there. The first book we got from Wikipedia. Most yes. trusted source on the web. A very, very trusted source. And you know where I got some information on a book too from? Wikipedia. There we go. So I want to talk about production. So as we discussed earlier, book one used to air Saturdays at about 11 to 11.30. I couldn't find a concrete time when I was looking it up. But a good time for adults to watch, good time for kids to watch, a good time slot. Book two, they went, nope, we're not going to do that anymore. You know what time adults love to watch cartoons at? Friday nights at like 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, because no one's doing anything on a Friday night. Yep, and I remember, because uh, I was in college when this came out, and I wouldn't watch it on Fridays because like, I'm doing stuff on Fridays. Right. And may have been a cause of that, but basically what happens is the ratings of the show, season one, 3.8 million, season two, it drops to 2.6 million. Right. And there's a couple things that could have caused that. It could have been because of the big delay between season book one and book two, could be because of the new time slot, could be because they were trying to push their online uh, video player, which mm -hmm. by the way, was terrible at the time. The buffering was awful. And so let's talk about something else, if you may have noticed. Book two has some different animation to yes, start. It does. <laughs> and basically what happened is since it, this initially was just supposed to be a miniseries, the studio that did book one declined to do book two. They were working on a different show. So that studio being Studio Mirror that did book one. So Nickelodeon went to Studio Perot. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. And so they worked on book two from the beginning. But then Studio Mir came back to do part of the seasons, mainly for their own reputation. I mean, they really came back and saved the season for me. Oh, so there is some rough animation mm -hmm. in the beginning of this book. Can I so, just say, like, one of the first things I wrote down about the season was this animation just looked horrible and the fighting sequences did not look good. The eyes, people's eyes looked horrible. The facial animation has yeah. really stood out to me. There's a scene where Korra is riding on Naga and I sent you a, a picture of that from book one, like the first or second episode when she's riding on Naga mm -hmm. and like the comparison 
it looks so different. It's so much worse. And so Studio Perot would go on to do episodes one through six, and then episode nine. Studio Mirror came in and did seven and eight, and then 10 through 14. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that because I think the real turning point for me was the two-parter episode, the beginnings. Beginnings one and two. The first, like, two seconds, I was like, the animation looks so much better than it looks all season. Yeah, so let's go back before we get to that, because I'm sure Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a lot. Let's talk about the first segment of book two. One of the things I asked you is, what did you want to see from a book two? Mm -hmm. And you wanted to explore. You wanted to go back and, you know, see places we've already been. You wanted to get out of Republic City, and we go to the South Pole. Right. We're hanging out in the South Pole. Uh, We're learning about Korra's family. We get to meet the villain Unalak, who is lackluster, to say the least. I think... To me, one of the most disappointing things was I loved Amon as a villain, and I thought he was such a compelling villain. He had such a good backstory. And with Unalak, I just was like, I kept waiting for a backstory. I kept waiting for a reason to want to root for him, and I never found that. Yeah, I just, I don't think he was ever interesting. No. The only thing he had going for him was, like, the spiritual energy, like, teaching her how to spirit bend water, like, the mentorship kind of role. But that was, like, one episode, maybe two. And then right. after that, I was like, I don't I don't even really care about him. <laughs> Which, you want to care about the villain. Right. And then we meet Desna and Eska, and they are some interesting twins. I love Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. I mean, who else are you going to get to play a deadpan crazy girl? Did I say deadpan? Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Deadpan crazy girl. Yeah, and, and she was in Monsters University. She was. Um, But she has one of those voices where as soon as you hear it, I was like, that's Aubrey Plaza. You just know. Instantaneously. Yeah. And speaking of book two characters that we get introduced to, we get to meet Varric. Mm-hmm. Varric, to me, was the biggest surprise this whole season. And and I'll say this. I think, for me, Varric saved the first half of season two. To me, there was not a lot of redeeming qualities about that. But his character and the humor and everything he brought to it was my favorite part of the first half of season two. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Everything Varric does is great. He's so eccentric and mm-hmm. crazy, but he's also very smart, very cunning. He's very compelling. He, to me, was a more compelling villain. Well, not really a villain. He's like a... I mean, he kidnapped the president. He is that's, kind of a villain. You know, that's kind um, of villainish. But somehow he, even not being the main villain, managed to be a lot more compelling. Yeah, the first part is just like, it makes you want to hate all the characters. Right. Cora feels like she's regressed because mm-hmm. she's just being like cocky and fighting with Tenzin. It's like, I don't need you anymore. Like, And I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. And first four or five episodes i had a really hard time getting through we talked about this episode five i think is the worst episode in the in the book i think a lot of the things that season one did so well it felt like they just completely forgot about in season two alim and asami were barely in it they got almost nothing to work with and i just wasn't interested in anyone's story I, yeah, I really did not care about the Civil War between the North yeah. and the South. Just nothing about that was interesting or compelling. And, like, the character interactions felt mm-hmm. off. Like, I didn't like a lot of the characters this season. Somehow, we talked about this a little bit, but somehow in the 
the middle of the show, right before beginnings, Mako was my favorite character. Yeah. And I was like, how is this, how is this happening? How is yeah. he the most competent character? And the only one who's like, this is what's happening. Lynn's like, get out of here. You're a beat cop. The stupid, stupid detectives. I yeah. hated those two. They sucked. Can we just talk about this? Because it's one thing that I hate when a show does is they bring a character on for the purpose of like a romantic storyline, being a Sami. And then once that romance has ended, they forget how to write the character. They don't know how to give them their own solo um, like storyline. Yeah. And I felt like Asami really got that this season. Even in the finale, she just like dipped out. Definitely. Like her and Bolin worked. Right. Like so that some of that stuff worked. Her and Bolin together. I bought their friendship. Yeah. I bought that they weren't, you know, it wasn't romantic. It was just a, a pure friendship. But also, you know, once she's like back with Mako and then there's a love triangle again. And then once that's kind of done, yeah, she's just gone. Right. She's like, take my dad, get out of here. And then you just don't see her again. I think the other thing I enjoy, well, at times I enjoyed it. At times it just felt like it was like plot filler. Yeah. Was seeing the three siblings. Yes. I honestly like that they make that Aang's not a perfect father. Mm -hmm. I like that he was so, like, hell-bent on making sure the culture's preserved, you know, teaching Tenzin, making sure Tenzin has all the information that, you know, he neglected his other kids. Yeah. You know, he spent so much time with his airbunder son. And because of that, Tenzin feels such a weight on his shoulders. Right. That I, I liked that dynamic, that they're not perfect. You know, that the characters we had from last season aren't perfect. Those, like, two things I just mentioned were really the only redeeming qualities the first half of the season or first three quarters of the season that scene where boomy's talking to ang's statue mm -hmm. and he's like i hope he made you proud like yeah. you know i tried to do my best i'm like oh that hurts i can yeah. feel it but i agree i there's just not a lot to to like but yeah. then oh. we make a complete 180 and we go into the past mm -hmm. and we meet the first avatar and it's just night and day beginnings beginnings two. amazing to me that was when this season turned for me a hundred percent i love the animation style i loved that kind of like how would you even describe it it's kind of like storybook yeah. i like i got a lot of like uh studio ghibli vibes yeah. from that especially with like the spirit oasis felt really like spirited away and just kind of, yeah, more like watercolor paint, like painted background. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it was such a good story. And it was two parts. It was done so well over those two parts. And it was interesting to me that a character I had never met before could be that intriguing. And also, it just happened to be that, like, my favorite episode to that point didn't really include any of the original characters, minus Korra for, like, 30 seconds or a minute total but it just that story was done so well it might be spoilers for my favorite episode of this book but the beginnings part one and two is at this point in the story mm -hmm. is my favorite episode i would agree episodes if you want to count yeah. it as yeah more than one it's so interesting that book two as a whole just feels so disconnected and mm -hmm. like segmented and like it doesn't flow well and that they're able to tell this concise 
short form but like amazing story mm-hmm. you know just in two episodes and it makes you care so much about the characters you care about Rava you care about Vatu you learn so much history like you get to go back and see like okay how did bending come about how did people like learn to bend how did the avatar become the avatar it's so strange that in such a i think personally a poor poorly told season mm-hmm. that it, you just get this amazing short form story you know, I got to the point where the season where I was just felt like I was trying to get through episodes and I don't want to have to watch a show and be like, oh, I just have to get through these next couple episodes. And that was the first time that season where I, or this book, I keep calling it season. It's all good. It was the first time though, where I didn't want to get through it. I wanted it to keep going. I would have watched like a three hour movie of that because it was so intriguing, brought up a lot of like moral, like man versus spirit. Um, which kind of continue on later in the season, mm-hmm. but it just was done so well in in so many aspects. And I love I love that we see Juan transform too, because you know at the beginning mm-hmm. he's basically Aladdin. You know he's yeah. a street rat, a street stealing rat. food, running away from authorities. He's riffraff, riffraff, mm. street rat, <laughs> scoundrel. <laughs> Take that, buy that. One jump. Okay, okay, we're done with the Aladdin references. <laughs> I don't remember what I was talking about. Oh, okay. So this is what I wanted to talk about. I loved everything with those two episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what book two's biggest strength is, is its connection to the past. Mm-hmm. And in connection to Avatar, connection to, you know, the Avatar Wan and the past, you know, we got to see Wan Chitan's library. We mm-hmm. got to see Admiral Zhao. You right. know, there's a lot of callbacks. You learn more about Aang, you know. Iroh. You, yeah, we get to see Iroh, oh. which... I was so excited for that moment because I know how much you love Iroh and I'd been waiting for it and and it, I, it caught me off guard and I got emotional because I just I love him and after that episode after beginnings it really felt like a a celebration of what Avatar was I agree and all the good qualities about Avatar even bringing back some of the characters I like that they went back to the roots I agree. Because I think the first half of season, or book two, was just going way off the rails. It was just too far from the even book one of Korra. And I think going back to a simpler, going back to your roots is always a good thing for a show to do. And I'm glad that they finally did that. And you kind of get a little bit of that in um, that conversation that Tenzin has with Aang or the illusion mm-hmm. of Aang where he's like you are not me and you should not be me right. like you are your own person and that kind of is the same thing for Korra versus right. Avatar like Korra is not Avatar the last airbender but I do think that the relation to the past and using the past to explain new things and to expand on things is a great idea yeah. no I agree a lot of my last notes I have are just about the like final two or three episodes yeah the finale makes no sense. No, it's it's insane. There are so many things that I just, I don't understand. Like, I get that it's during harmonic conversion, so there's a lot of weird spirit energy, so Korra can, you know, harness her cosmic spiritual right. energy and project herself and fight, like, a demon man the size of a skyscraper, you yeah. know. And then just Jinora just appears and throws Rava into Vatu for some reason. I, I don't know where she found her, but... I knew there were kind of uh, signs of it all season. They kept showing her, seeing spirits and everything, but it it's just so confusing. Yeah. I think 
this, I'm just going to start with the good because I like to kind of point out Go the good it. things I liked. The music. Oh, the music. I was thinking about my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Every single scene, part of it was because of the music that played during it. I got chill. I kept telling you, like, chills. I got chills. And I think one of the things that the show does so well, even earlier on in the season when it was struggling, is the music was always, like, that consistent factor. Right. That made me really enjoy the show in the first place. And then also, I did like... I kind of liked how at the end it kind of pointed to where the show might go. Cora's no longer bonded with the past avatars. Right, she has lost her connection, connection. to the past avatars. Right. And so we don't know. Or, I mean, you know. because you've I was going to say, but at this point in the show, we don't viewer, know what the implications of that are. We don't know if she'll ever get that back or if now it's like she has to figure out everything within herself and with other people and not having that bond from the past. Right. Um, also, they brought up the question if human and spirit should be living together. And in the end, ultimately, Cora decides that she shouldn't be the bridge between the spirit world and the human world, which I thought was interesting, and humans and spirits living together. Yes. So that's another thing. I don't know if that will continue on, and if there will be issues from that, or, or how that kind of will go um, carrying on in the next couple books. Yeah, there are some large-scale changes and questions that this book leaves you with. Yeah. And I will tell you, I know we talked about uh, that book one was written independently and then book two was ordered. So some point during the production of book two, I don't know if it was post-writing or near the end of writing, Nickelodeon renewed uh, Korra for books three and four. Okay. So at some point, they were working on book two post-production, book three, and book four pre-production. So they were working on a ton of stuff mm-hmm. at the same time. So I, I think there might have still been some disconnect between, you know, book two independently to leading to book three. But I'll just let you know going forward, book three and four were written together. I know book one left a lot of, like, it felt very final, and then I don't really feel like they used things from book one and book two. There was no talk about the equalist. The only thing we got is that there's now a president instead of a council. That whole ideal, like ideology and like struggle within Republic City just kind of disappeared. Because I did say, I said I wondered at the end if that kind of people being afraid of people with powers and everything that if that would continue on in book two and it didn't really have any impact or in effect. Nope. Which I guess is okay, but it, it did just feel really like two different shows. I agree with the between book one and two. I think the hardest thing is Cora just feels like she regresses. Right. It's so hard going from where we ended, you know, book one, she was like broken. You know, she's Mm -hmm. like distraught over losing her bending. And then, you know, we cut forward six months. So enough time has passed, but it's that she's just right back to where she started from. Right. So favorite episode we. I mean, I mine was Beginnings Part 1 and 2. I put Beginnings Part 1 and 2, and yeah. I didn't know if we could only do one episode, but I assumed that that could technically count as I just counted it as one. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a lot, but it is by far the best part of Season 2. Agreed. Um, my favorite quote, I gotta go with my <laughs> Iroh. Of course. Dropping some knowledge on everyone. He says, you will find that if you look for the light, you can often find it. But if you look for the dark, that is all you will see. All you were able Oh my god. <laughs> that is all you will ever see. You did it. There we go. Wait, okay. I made it. 
Golf, Golf club. club. Golf club. club. Thank you. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. But yeah, Iroh to me, like I just, every scene he was in, I just felt like so, so much warmth. And I, I missed him. I missed him so much. It was like we got all the wisdom we needed in five minutes for the whole season yeah. or the whole book. I was like, we got it. This is all I need. I also went with an Ira quote okay. because how could I not? My quote I chose, though, is sometimes the best way to solve your own problems is to help somebody else. Yeah. Which I think is a great life lesson because, I mean, that's true for me. No, it is. I, I do a lot of that myself. Yeah. I agree. And I wanted to give a special shout out to, um, in Beginnings, there's the line where Rava just says, we are bonded forever. Mm-hmm. And just, just the way she delivers that line, I just like chills. Yeah. So I just want to give a special shout out to that one. Um, so my favorite scene, it had to do with the music. My favorite into scene it. also had to do with the music as um, well. It was in the, I believe it was in the last episode when Vatu's like cutting off the ties with all the avatars. It's the scene itself and then just the music that's playing, that combination of it, it's done so well. I had a hard time picking a favorite scene, and I will say all of my scenes had to do with the music, mm-hmm. the inclusion of the music. I thought about the scene with Tenzin and Aang, and there's that really low, like, Avatar theme playing, like, Aang's theme yes. in the background, and that, like, quiet moment I really liked. I liked the moment where uh, Juan and Rava fuse, and the mm-hmm. Avatar theme builds... I kind of have a tie between two. I can't pick. Okay. I'll be honest. I, I was trying to pick between two of them and I couldn't do it. So one of them is, it's all about the music. When Korra accesses the cosmic mm-hmm. power and she's on that bridge, you know, that Aang was on when he was learning to master the Avatar state and that theme kicks in and I was going to look up what that theme's called and I completely forgot to do that. But it is the best score. Mm-hmm. It's the best part of the score of, of book two is... When she accesses her inner spirit yes. and channels that and, like, becomes a giant blue spirit. That whole scene, I just, I loved it. And yeah, that was, uh, sorry to cut you off, oh, no, but you're that fine. was actually my second choice for favorite yeah. scene. And my second one, I just, I couldn't pick between them. There's, it's kind of an odd choice, I think, but there's a montage during Beginnings where Avatar, uh, Juan, and Rava are having, are discussing things while... They're going to the Lion Turtles mm-hmm. and just that montage of him learning the elements and them discussing like, you know, there cannot be light, like, right. just like there's dark, there can, like, there has to be light and dark together and talking about. And she says one cannot survive without the, other. without the other. Yeah, so they're talking about things and there's that, it's just like the music's great and just that montage. I just really liked that mm-hmm. montage and the discussion. I feel like you got kind of to build and learn more, but it was also moving and flowing and I just really liked that moment. Um, my favorite fight, also from beginnings. Uh, yeah, yeah. Same. It's uh, Juan versus Vatu. Vatu. I, I put the same thing. Um, when he like encloses him with all the elements, mm-hmm. just it's visually was so appealing. The music was done so well, and it just I just sat in silence and watched it. I didn't. I didn't want it to end. Also, the art style really lends to the bending. Mm-hmm. Because when he's airbending, he's on like a cloud. Right. And we don't see that, you know, in in you... normal Avatar universe. Like the sharp edges of like using water and fire and just that looks so cool. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so top three characters. Okay. Number one, I gotta give it to Varric. I put Varric as my number one he as well. He saved the first half of the season for me. To me, he was the most consistent character that I was like always excited to see him in a scene. His humor was really good, and he was really compelling. He had a really good storyline. I love his storyline in book two, 
And he gets the best comedic moment when Bolin's like, is this boat fast enough to outrun my crazy ex-waterbending girlfriend? And he's like, why'd you think I built this boat? (laughs) And just speed off. And I'm like, oh my god, Varric. I just, I love it. Number two, I went with Korra. I went with Tenzin for my number two. Season one, I didn't have her in my top three. I didn't either. Um, I had a hard time with her character in season one. I think part of the reason it was so hard for me is because she was the complete opposite of Aine. I don't know if I was expecting that. Um, but for me this season, the first half, I was still not a fan of her. I think she grew a lot going from like after the beginnings episode onward. And I'm hopeful that going into book three and four that she'll continue like on an upward path and that I'll continue to like her. But I just thought she had good development this season. I did not put her on my top three list. I think my problem with her in book two is I don't have a problem with her like me disliking her because you mean I some characters you love to hate Mm -hmm. you know like Joffrey from Game of Thrones he's an amazing character that's terrible I hate him with all the passion that I have yeah but like I love him he's a great character right I think that she just didn't get a good journey to get to the point where she learned I feel like it was just so heavy-handed for me, it, it she did turn around at the end. I don't think if she had had the last couple episodes, I probably wouldn't have put her on my list. But, oh, you said oh, I, yeah, so yeah. I, let me talk about Tenzin. I really like Tenzin this book because I feel like he gets a lot of personal growth. Because we watch him in the beginning, we watch him interacting with his family and having to come to terms that you know, his father maybe wasn't the best parent. His mm-hmm. siblings and him didn't have the same relationship with their dad, you know, that he did. And then he also has to come to terms that he can't guide Cora spiritually. You know, his daughter is the one who has to take her into the spirit world and watching him be frustrated and having to come to terms with that, mm-hmm. that he's like, this is what I've, you know, been training my whole life for and I can't be this for you. Yeah, no, he did. He definitely did. And now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, maybe he was one of my favorite characters this um, book. But going from book one, him, to book two, I just feel like he didn't, maybe he didn't have as much screen time. I agree. He didn't have as much screen time. Or the time. first half. I didn't, I wasn't crazy about his character the first half. I think he definitely, the last couple episodes, did get a lot of growth. He was my, like, fourth for this season. To everyone's surprise myself the biggest somehow macho slash mako made it on my list of top three no, characters. top three i and we talked about this i really liked mako in book two i think the reason that i liked him so much was because the beginning of the season the first half he was one of the only characters who's actually getting stuff done he was a competent character yeah no one would listen to him they thought he was like insane and he was right the whole time and he was trying to be supportive yeah. to Cora, and she didn't want to have any of it. The reason I would also kick him off my list is because he just treats Asami like trash. Yeah, I I understand why. Like, for instance, lying to Cora, not telling them about the breakup because she forgot about it. You know, not really giving Asami the proper closure that yeah. she deserved. Because she, as we always say, Asami deserves better. Her outfits... Asami, oh my god. So, special shout out. Asami's not on my list because she just didn't get enough to do this season. But Asami's outfits are always on point. Her jackets, fantastic. Her formal wear, amazing. 
Can I change my top three to just Asami's outfits? Just Asami's <laughs> outfits. I, I'll allow it. Accepted. Yeah, I wanted to put her on my list, but I couldn't justify it because she got no screen time. But yeah, so that's why I put him on my last on my list because I felt like he was the only one this season consistently who was actually like, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. And everyone else was just like running in circles. I don't even know. My third one, and maybe it's cheating, but I put Juan. I put Avatar 1. Oh. See, I wanted to do that, but I was like, he was only in two episodes, but he did, maybe was my favorite character this whole season. That's why I put him third, because I was like, I can't justify him having him first or second, because of the, you know, he's only in two episodes. But just the lasting impact his story had on me over time in general, and also just in rewatch, just, he's such a compelling character. He's so likable. He's so, because he makes mistakes, but he learns from his mistakes. And I just, I like everything they did with his character. Yeah. No, I agree. Also, I just realized this was the first book that didn't have one of the elements in the title. And that's what we're going to talk about. Hmm. So I asked you, after book one, what you thought the title of book two would be since we had covered all four elements. And I think you didn't have a guess. Yeah, I didn't know. And so we ended up getting spirits. Yeah. So now going, knowing what we know about how book two ended and the setup into book three, do you have any guesses about what book three would be called? I hope it's called Zuko's Back. <laughs> I will tell you all of the titles going forward, there are still continued one word. It's all one word titles. You had to think of a word to describe what you think book three would be. The only words in my head right now are food. <laughs> I it's, think. it's not food. Um, changes. <laughs> okay. Changes. Changes? Okay. I don't think that's right, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> well, you'll find out. I think every single episode we've ever recorded, I've said I've hated <laughs> myself at least once. That's probably accurate. You know, you will find out. So now the other thing I wanted to talk about is... What do you think is going to happen in book three? Book one, we had like kind of like a, a final, a finality right. to it. There wasn't any form of setup for the next book. So you kind of, it was kind of all in the open, you know, like it was very just open-ended what I wanted to ask you. But now we have Korra. She doesn't have her connection to the past avatars. She has Rava now. Right. You know, she has the connection with Rava, but the spirit portals are now open. And we had this harmonic convergence where... Vatu and Unalak kind of attacked Republic City and like caused some issues like there was all those weird vines you know growing out of the water so do you have any ideas or like character things you'd want to see like character interactions or character you know storylines things that you want to see I think here's what I want I want Asami to get her own storyline that doesn't have to revolve around like a romantic or like other characters okay I want, because I feel like she's, book one, she's such a compelling character. And I feel like if they could find a way to write her, they could make her compelling again. But I just want, I want a compelling villain again. I miss, I miss that this book. Aman was to me like a really compelling villain until the end. It kind of dropped the ball a little bit. Fizzled out. But I think of like Bane from Batman or Dark Knight. Like I just want someone who's got a lot of, um meat to them not that's it's a meat on those bones meat. <laughs> no. oh, <God. laughs> 
Oh, I God. Hope to God. No, Mom. Hannah, you heard it here, everyone. Hannah wants man meat. <laughs> I hope to God Mom never watches this or listens to this. God. She probably will. Probably not. She'll probably, she'll clutch her pearls. No, she wouldn't. I'm not telling her. Yeah. I'm not going to tell her about it. But yeah, I just want a character that isn't so one note. Yeah. I want to care about them. I want, with Amon, I almost at times felt like sympathetic. I felt sympathy. And I want a character like that that I care about. So I can't hold on to it anymore. You know how I asked you to title book three as you called it Changes? Is that the title? The <laughs> book three's title is Change. And I, cu- I can't hold on to it anymore. I can't. I kid you not, like, I did not know that. I know you don't know that. I just, I just, you said changes and I went, god damn it, are you kidding me? Because I was thinking about Shrek, and then I thought of, and then I was like, I'll just go changes. Book three is called Change. The show could use some change. It could use some change. But yeah, let's, let's jump into book three. So, I want to just talk a little bit about some things that, from the production side, the airing side of things that you might not be aware of as you were not watching it live. So, uh, last I told you is that books three and four were worked on consecutively. So, unlike books one and book two, and even like the, the very start of book three, they knew they were making two more books. They were written at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, book three picks up where book two left off. But on the production side, we had some problems. To put it as I wrote in my notes, I just wrote the word terrible. Okay. It's just to start. So they basically gave no notice when book three was airing. They dropped the trailer. I remember this. They just dropped the trailer out of nowhere and it was going to be airing like in the same month. And it started airing in June of 2014 and they aired it in an order that didn't make sense. So they aired the first three episodes together. Like an hour and a half segment? Yes. Oh. They aired books one, or episodes one through three all at once together. And then they aired things out of order. So it didn't really make, like the arcs didn't make sense. Right. Because you got a gap between, the way they wanted it to be aired was episodes one and two together. And then episode three and maybe four or three separate, and then four and five, and it just aired all out of order. I couldn't find anything online. I didn't look too deep. I couldn't remember what time slot this appeared in. Mm-hmm. I don't think it aired at 8 p.m. on Friday nights anymore. I just don't think it was a good time slot. But here's where things get interesting. Once we get to episode eight, that airs, and then Nickelodeon removes Cora from television. Like, took it off completely? They took it off from airing on television. They moved it exclusively online, on their website, and digital download for the remainder of the season. And they would continue to air it online through the end of the show. Yeah, because wasn't book four all online? Completely online. Because I I remember that being a thing, that I'd heard about that. So, I guess there were some issues um, with episodes being leaked. There were episodes that were leaking before they premiered. There were, I remember, scenes being leaked, full episodes are being leaked, and there's also um, dwindling ratings, not to the fault of the show, just bad time slots and, you know, the fact that they literally had no warning that, you know, the book was airing. Right. And the video player on Nick's website was total ass. Yeah. It sucked. It was so bad. It, the buffer was terrible. It was such a bad experience. I, I don't understand how they thought that was a good way to air things. 
Now, let's talk about the approval rating. Um, book three of Korra has a 100% fresh approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it uh, reviewed very well. Mm-hmm. So clearly, even though Nick clearly didn't have faith in it, it did really well in the ratings and reviews. The other thing um, I wanted to mention that I thought was interesting is the first episode that aired exclusively online was the episode where um, the Earth Queen dies. And some oh. people were like, I wonder if this was on purpose, because they didn't think they could air that on television. Huh. That's actually a good point, because I was a little bit surprised when I saw that. It was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. But anyway, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on what happened on the production side of things, and there will be even more to talk about once we get to book four. But I just wanted to cover um, what had happened in between books two and four. Okay. Um, So for book three, Change, which I did guess that name right. (laughs) I don't understand how you got it right. The song just came into my head and I was like, sure, I'll go with that. I'll ask you about four and hopefully you will not come up with the correct answer. (laughs) We'll see. Um, So a little summary. Um, Still dealing with the aftermath of harmonic convergence, Team Avatar must work together when a new group of villains comes into play and airbenders suddenly appear out of nowhere. So like within five minutes into this episode, I was like, this is already so much better than book two. Literally... And figuratively is a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Oh, I wrote that because the first episode was called A Breath of Fresh Air. Now, I know I asked you what you thought was going to happen, but did you ever foresee just airbending showing up in random people? Like, No. I didn't. I never thought that just random people would be getting airbending. I said that that was one of the things that I, when I saw they were doing that, I was like, that's such a genius thing to do. I will say one of the things that I really respect about book three is that the writing is very smart. Mm -hmm. They are able to use strengths previously from books one and two and make it really work in book three. Yeah. And I immediately loved the villain introductions. Oh my Um, God. I love the idea of having a group of villains. Yes. And the way they introduce each villain, that setup was so good. I don't know if you notice in your rewatch, the, the villains have a, a theme, the Red Lotus theme. Mm-hmm. A fantastic musical track, by the way. One of the best yeah. in the shows. But I wondered if you noticed when they're breaking the members of the Red Lotus out of prison, the music changes because it adds instruments as each new member is added. And yeah. I was wondering if you had noticed that in your rewatch. The first time I didn't, because I was just, I think, so focused on paying attention to what was happening, I did notice it the second time I was watching through. Another thing I noticed that I didn't even pick up on the first time was when Zaheer's in prison, he literally does this whole thing about, like, untethering himself from the earth. Mm -hmm. Like, that line comes up, and once I had finished the third uh, book, and when I was re-watching that first episode, I was like... He literally lays out what's going to happen in that first episode. He does. Which I love that kind of foreshadowing. I think for me it was just the reason I found it so much better was because just the writing was so good. Um, Characters that I necessarily didn't like became more likable for me. Cora is so likable Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the season. Yeah. She immediately starts off 
her talk with the guy on the bridge i i love that with mm-hmm. her because she comes across as so genuine and so relatable and you can see how much she's learned yeah and even um i can't think of his name but he's tenzin's son oh um milo milo, milo. for the first like two books he was very just like annoying to me oh i hated milo but he actually got more likable this this book there's this scene where tenzin is just looking at ang's statue and he's like i wish i wish your grandfather could be here mm-hmm. to see this because he's like like look at it dad like look at all these airbenders like we're gonna refill the temples and yeah. it's like he starts like tearing up and his kids are all oh my god it gets I'm, <laughs> you literally i'm tearing up right now yeah. but i just i love that scene so much because it's it's so great to see tenzin like so full of hope and like carrying on ang's legacy because yeah. he was the last airbender yeah you know i think like i love that the whole season you have this this interesting i guess new dynamic with tenzin where I, he yes. so desperately wants to have that air nation again yes and he almost acts out a character at time he does because he's he almost, just is so desperate for it he his. almost asks acts of oh, ass he's such an ass ass kiss ass <laughs> he's a kiss ass he almost acts childish at mm-hmm. times he's frustrated he's with the new airbending recruits he's cranky he's it's interesting to see that but i completely understand why because it's so overwhelming it must be so overwhelming for him yeah and i think he gets frustrated because he doesn't feel like anyone cares as much as he does about wanting to restore that and there's a lot of scenes where he like he's happy because you can tell he's kind of getting what he wants um or the scene where the air temple gets destroyed at the end. Oh my god. And he's just looking back, like, basically Heart- seeing it destruct. Heartbreaking. Destruction. But I think one of the things I loved about this season was there was so much good conflict. There was so much good conflict, and it wasn't just one conflict. Yeah. There were several different conflicts that worked really well together. Yeah. Because you've got... I mean, even Korra being kicked out of Republic City at the beginning. Right. You also have the one conflict I really loved this season oh. was um, Cora and Lynn. Yes. And it was really interesting because... Or Lynn with her sister. Yeah, yeah. Lynn and Sue. But with Cora and Lynn, the thing I loved was... I can't remember what episode it was, but basically Lynn is si- trying so hard to protect Cora. And I understand her side, but there was an episode where Cora basically says you know, I'm the avatar, this is my job. Right. And I'm like, she's, I think I agree with Cora on that front. She's, because ma- yeah, matured a lot. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing, and I understand Lynn's trying to protect her and wants to keep her safe, but I just loved all the conflict this season. There was a lot of, like, very mature discussions and intertwined plots that, like, really mm-hmm. worked well together, because my main problem with book two is everything felt so like segmented it i don't know just like the the different storylines didn't really work in book two but book three it's so consistent throughout the entire show but yeah every episode is builds and adds and this the tension is good and it has good payoff because book one that was my real problem is that book one did tension and like suspense building so well but the payoff was not worth it but book three i think from start to finish had a nice great story yeah i think my other favorite thing was the characters who i felt got sidetracked last season specifically like asami. lynn asami bolin 
Like, they all kind of got their moments this season. Lynn got, you got more backstory on her with Sue and with Toph. We kind of talked about this, but it's interesting to see how Ayn and Toph are, like, flawed characters as adults. I think that's really interesting, yeah. yeah. Because you you think of them as, like, these, I mean, they were kids right. when we saw them. But it's it's cool to see that they didn't grow up these, like, perfect people. But I love that Asami actually got to do something this season. Oh my god, season. Asami got to do stuff. And she wasn't just, I felt like last season she was either just there for, like, a romantic plot or she was just in the background. I think Asami, them deciding to uh, create this closer bond between Asami and Korra was a great decision. Because previously, I know they tried to, like, have Asami be with Bolin in Mm -hmm. book two. Not, like, romantically, but just be, like, they were in a lot of the same scenes together. Mako? No, Asami and Bolin. Um, Mako also had scenes together, but Mm -hmm. I felt like they tried to put Asami and Bolin together to make, like, you know that relationship yeah. work just like a friendship yeah and i i don't think it necessarily worked super well but like asami and Korra works mm-hmm. so well their pairing together is so great and i loved that they got so many scenes and because Korra even said she's like i've never had like a girlfriend i can yeah. just talk to about stuff before you know so it was nice to be able to see them have like a closer bond the only thing that i wish is that asami would get more fight scenes because i yeah there was an episode early on this book where you see she's like a really skilled fighter for someone who doesn't have any airbending or any powers. I mean, because like we had Sokka. Yeah. We had Suki. Right. And yeah, Asami, I feel like, never yeah. gets a lot of good material to work with. She I, got more of this book, but yeah, still. But she, to me, is like always like the the chauffeur she's every time they have a driving scene i'm like getting ready for her to be driving or Um, she's flying the air bison yeah or the airship yeah and i understand that's part of her character but it's like i love to watch her fight and i always hate when i know a fight scene's coming and she's either one not in the um scene or she'll just be like off to the side yeah but besides that i mean i i was happy they gave her more to work with this season oh i loved getting varick back my god because to me like this book, Varric, was not in it a lot. He'd be in, like, 10-second clips, and it, like, was always my favorite. He, he is such a great character. Yeah. His humor's written so well, and he's just, like, so enjoyable to have in scenes. So I was really happy when he was back. Obviously, when I found out Zuko, yes, it was it was amazing. You've been asking about Zuko since before the show yeah. started. And we even got Iroh back for a little bit. We got Iroh back. It was nice to get those characters back. I loved Zuko and Korra's talk yes. kind of about what Ayn would have done. I love that talk yeah. so much. Because first you start with Iroh. Mm-hmm. You start with Korra talking to Iroh and him being like, you should talk to Zuko. And it's like this nice continuation of like Iroh to Zuko, Zuko to Aang, and Korra. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was such a nice way to, to tie in Zuko to the story. Yeah. I think Zuko's inclusion in this book was the best of the characters we've seen so far. Yeah, I like that he was there more to be like a guide. A guide and a support. Yeah, he wasn't trying to like steal the scenes or anything. And I think that's smart because I think sometimes shows have issues when they bring back, like if it's like a continuation of a show, they bring back characters and they kind of like take over. I don't necessarily like that, but I liked the way they use Zuko's character um, to be that bridge between, like, Korra and Ayn, since she doesn't have that connection anymore. 
Right. She lost her, yeah. her connection to the past avatars. And that, I think, has been was really interesting in this book, is that she didn't have anyone to rely on. So she has to rely on the people that are in her life and the people who knew Aang. Honestly, like, I think the way they, they built off of that was was very, done very well, this book. Like, I understood why they cut the connection, but I wasn't, like, super thrilled they'd done that. So I talk about, I've been talking about a lot of positives. I just want to talk about a little bit of a negative this season okay. or this book. Because I think there's, even if I love a show, there's always, like, some things There's going to be, in, you yeah. know, there's going to be issues. Um, and this was kind of an issue I had with the first book, too, is, or maybe it was the second book. Um, their plan to, like, save all the airbenders and basically falling right into the villain's trap. Yeah. And I know that's a trope that shows do because you have to have some sort of conflict. Yeah. But I just hate how it's like, you know these characters aren't just going to give up, like, the, all the Avatar. Or right. all the Airbenders. Yeah. So that kind of annoyed me. But honestly, overall, like, I didn't have many negatives this book. I absolutely love book three. Mm-hmm. Book three, I'll make this claim right now. I think book three is the best season of both Avatar and Korra is the best individual season between both those shows. I think the story told in the in the book is so concise and so well done and the pacing is great and the fighting's great and the character interactions, just everything about it and the ending, we'll get to that. But just the whole package is so well done. Yeah, they did a lot of the side plots really well. And like you said, I loved how they matched up certain characters. Book three introduced so many great new characters. Mm -hmm. Because book two had new characters, but I didn't really care for a lot of them. Other than Varric. I mean, Varric is this phenomenal character. But you get Kai, who's kind of like a little Aang, you know, in ways. And he's this, like, little misfit, like, street rat kid. Street rat. Riff raff. I won't <laughs> buy that. Okay. Um, sorry, just a little ad in there for you. You get Sue. You get Lynn's sister. You get her whole family. You get Opal. You know, romantic interest for Bolin. You get all the villains, the four members of the Red Lotus. You get um, Ai Wei. I didn't mention Sue much, but I loved her character. And I remember when I first she was first introduced, I kind of thought she might be like a villain. Jimmy, I'm always, yeah. you know, a little bit curious when new characters get introduced, what, what their motive or what their backstory is going to be. But I love that because you got to see more into Lynn's past. And I just loved, I love watching the metal bending it's in the show. It's so good. And like you said, the fight scenes were just so good in this season. Um, there was just a lot I really liked about it, to be honest. All right. Um, do we want to talk about villains? They're so compelling. Mm-hmm. The philosophy, Zaheer, is so interesting because there are times when it, you know, things he's saying, like, it makes sense. Like, I I understand the point of view. I understand what he's saying, you know, like, world without leaders where everyone's equal, you know, and without monarchs, you know, because the Earth Queen is not great. Mm -hmm. And we can see that. Korra sees that. When he talks to her in, like, the Jaibao Grove... He's like, wouldn't it be better if there weren't, you know, if there wasn't an Earth Queen? Because yeah. clearly there's, it's not working. But the way they go about it is clearly not right by killing world leaders. No, but they definitely, 
there is some truth to what he's saying. There's some truth, yeah. And it's interesting because you can almost understand where he's coming from. Obviously, he's not going about it the right way. Right. But even, like, watching, um, I think, Minwa, the Minwa, waterbender. yeah. Like, watching her fight was oh, so Oh, my God. Awesome. She is, well, one, she doesn't have arms. Like, her arms are water. Her arms are water. And I agree. She is one of the most dynamic fighters of the show when you watch her come out of the water like lift oh up my with... god the spider arms it's amazing when she's in the cave at, in the finale yeah. when she just has like 30 arms coming out and I... you get pulley which is uh, another um mm-hmm. sparky sparky boom man the fire uh shoot she shoots like and the, she can do the... curve shots yeah and then you get gazan who's a lava bender yeah and you just get this crew of like these weirdly talented unique benders yep i i think what i really appreciate is it's hard to make one compelling villain um i think sometimes shows struggle with that i think cora struggled it with oh with it last book we had tarlock and amon both disappointing in the end and unalak who sucked the entire season but for a show to be able to do four different characters find a way to make them all compelling and just the way they went about it, like I said, I think it really helped the way they introduced all of them. It was such a good introduction to them. And I just loved every time I knew they were about to start a fight scene. I was so like excited because I knew it was just going to look so good. And I also liked that they were able to tie it back into Avatar and Korra Lord, them being a splint, splinter cell of the White Lotus. That they were like, this one guy, Jai Bao, I think that was the guy who split, right? I think so. So this one dude's just like, we're glorified bodyguards now. Once Aang had saved the, the world after defeating Ozai, they kind of became like glorified bodyguards, you know? Mm-hmm. And they weren't like a secret organization like they once were. And because like, we've learned, Korra was like basically kept in a compound for most of her life. Right. Guarded by the White Lotus. And so it was interesting to see that they were going to kidnap her to then teach her to see the world in a different way than what she'd currently seen. And I especially like that Unalak was a member of the Red Lotus and that he went against, you know, like, went against the way it was supposed to go by becoming the dark, you know, avatar and fusing with Vatu. And I thought that was a good way to tie book two back into book three, uh, make his story at least slightly more interesting yeah. than it was. Um, I think his story and kind of the way they ended it is what i wish they would have done with Amon. yeah um i also the first time i watched the season through i didn't even realize that that he was at the air temple or the when he cut his hair is that what you're gonna say yeah i didn't realize that but i also didn't realize that the lady who shoots the fire Me, uh pulley i didn't realize she died you didn't know she died i it took me like five minutes to figure it out that was shocking. I thought what happened was that because they put um, Sue basically puts the armor around, around her, her head. head. Yeah, and I didn't realize that she basically just oh like combusted God. herself. She combusted. She blew up her head. I didn't realize until they were in the cave and um, uh, well, I can't and and it. she said that she and Zahir was sacrificed like, herself yeah. for the cause. Yeah, and then I went back and rewatched it. And I was like, oh my god. I mean, let's talk about just. The brutality of this season. I mean, we've had some brutal stuff. We had the murder-suicide in book one and all the stuff with the bloodbending, but 
so this is um, something that had been discussed a lot, you know, different subsets of bending. People were like, oh, is metal bending, you know, before you found out metal, ben- metal bending, before <laughs> <laughs> you found out like metal bending was a thing, blood bending, and people were always like, what would be like a subset of air bending, like, like yeah, sound sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing about you, Miss Fernanda. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what would be a subset of air bending, like sound bending, or yeah. like, what could you do? And people had theorized like could you bend the air out of someone's lungs and we've never had an evil airbender before no and can we talk about the fact that he just went iron man and flew away (laughs) (laughs) yes but he literally murders the earth queen he he sucks the air out of her lungs and suffocates her and we watched that happen and i remember because i told you this is the first episode that was online i remember watching this episode I remember just watching it in shock because I was like, I cannot believe I just watched this. And then yeah. you continue on, you get police head blowing up, you get Mingwa electrocuted and then buried by Gazan, who was like, I'm not going back to prison, I'm going to kill myself. Before he tries I to, to do prison. another murder suicide. He yes, another murder suicide. With Bulu, uh, <laughs> Bulu, the bear. With Bolin and Mako. Bolin and Mako, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, and then. But yeah, it's very brutal, and I love it. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't expect it. Yeah. Um, because of the show, because you know it's more directed for like children or yes teenagers. But it's cool to see. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little bit of a psychopath. No, I think it's great. I loved it. I yeah. love seeing all that. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is that we go back to Ba Sing Se. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Ba Sing Se since Avatar. And it looks very different. Dai Li is still awful and yeah. gross and hate hate them. They still look really cool, though. They yeah, got they their do. cool stone gloves. I think that was really interesting to see. And did you also hear the note about how the rumor that the Earth Queen ate Bosco? Yes, I did. Yeah, terrifying. And I mean, then I thought about um, Bosco cheese sticks. Of course, <laughs> Bosco's bread stuffed cheese sticks. But yeah, like, I loved Bossing say the in um, Avatar. And it's interesting to see how much it's changed since then. Mm-hmm. And I kind of loved <laughs> when the Earth Queen was murdered, how they kind of just like freed and they were like, you know, that's why part of me like almost sympathizes with those villains. Yeah. Because they essentially were freeing people who were under rule of like a tyrant. What do you think the implications are going to be of that going into book four? Do you think that's going to have some relevance to the plot? I mean, I think it's definitely could be a conflict because, yeah, you freed a bunch of people, but you also now have a city that's just basically people doing whatever they want. It's just lawless yeah. because there's no ruler. There's no clear leadership now. Mm-hmm. So I think there definitely could be some issues from that. Um, what do we, we can start with the favorite line, I guess. Um, sure. I had a really hard time picking a line. I had, I have three things written down here. I had a really hard time as well. Yeah. I think Zaheer, like, I had probably three or four lines from I did as well. I also had a line from Tenzin, because Tenzin always got that. I had a line from Tenzin as well. But the one I chose to go with, the one that kind of really hit me, was Zaheer. Um, And he says, when you base your expectations only on what you see, you blind yourself to the possibilities of a new reality. It's the first thing I have written in my favorite quotes. I remember when I heard that, I literally went back and rewatched it. Because I was like, that's such... And he had a couple lines that really, like... Let go of your earthly tether, enter the void, empty and become wind. Yeah. It's just... 
the way he worded things was so interesting and thought-provoking. And he had a lot of, you could tell, like, philosophy behind oh, it. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting because he was a non-bender who was supposed to be Cora's airbending teacher. So clearly he studied and was well aware of airbending culture. Right. Which I think is really interesting that he then became an airbender with all this knowledge he was able to use to his advantage. So favorite fight? This was so hard for me. I had like four or five listed. It was so hard. Um, my favorite one was Tenzin and Zaheer at the Air Temple. That was also my favorite um, as well. That I loved it because you get to see just how powerful Tenzin actually is. I love it because up until that point, Zaheer was bodying mm-hmm. everybody. Then Tenzin is an airbending master and you can see that. And I love it. Yeah, it's the first time he's actually had a struggle. Zaheer has. Um, and I love just to see Tenzin. It's so interesting to see how different Tenzin's fighting is from Ains. Yes. Where it's so much more aggressive. Right. Um, it's, it's, just, it's also interesting to see how different Tenzin's is from Zaheer. Right. Because Zaheer's very boxy. Like he's box like like boxing yeah. air, whereas, you know, Tenzin is aggressive, but still so much flowier. And I felt like this was the first time when you really understood, oh, like Zaheer just has picked up airbending because yes. he looked like such an amateur compared to Tenzin. Oh, yeah. Obviously the fight doesn't end so well for Tenzin. Tenzin was taking on four people well, at yeah. once. And but, he was like succeeding for a little bit right. there. But just to see his power, just to see, I mean, it was, it was so cool to see. It was such a spectacle. I don't think I ever expected to see an airbender versus airbender fight in the show. And the fact that we got that was so cool to see. Yeah. Um, So favorite episode? I had a really hard time. I had two that I was picking between. Mm -hmm. The one I actually liked the most was the one right before that. The ultimatum. The ultimatum. That's my favorite as well. Um, The reason is because, first off, you get to see Iroh. You start this episode with Korra facing this moral dilemma. Should she be sacrificing herself for the the greater good? You're the greatest good I'm ever. <laughs> I am the greatest good you're ever gonna get. Um, <laughs> which I think is is really interesting because Korra has never had to face a problem like this. Normally, she's able to tackle her problems with her fighting and her bending mm-hmm. and her headstrong will but this time it's not like that yeah it's it's her versus the entirety of the air nation and it's that's such a big deal and a huge thing that she's morally able to decide that they're more important than she is yeah um so i love that um also it's that scene between zuko and Korra that i love and Um, zuko finding out iroh's in the spirit world yeah which i love the thing i love the most is the last 10 minutes i would say it's maybe one of the best like 10 minute segments i've ever seen in a tv show the tension and the build-up is so well done um that's when you see you know tenzin and zaheer fighting there's also um boomy and kaya kaya are fighting all the conflicts that's going on all the cuts the cuts were done so cleanly the destruction of the northern air Mm -hmm. temple oh that's the next episode sorry just kidding that but next, it, yeah. it is being but, but leads Yeah, it leads yeah. into that, yes. Um, but just, I think that last 10 minutes really sold it for me, but it was just such a, a well-done episode as a complete, like, 20-minute segment. Yeah, I picked it. I knew going into that that this was going to be my favorite episode. There were a few um, other ones that I think are really well done. Like, I think the uh, episode where 
they try to kidnap Korra in the Metal Clan. I think that episode's really well done. But yeah, definitely I would say the ultimatum is it's a great episode to lead into the finale because it sets the stakes. I think the last three episodes so like, well done they were so good and i mean the whole season was good but those last three together are just great. such a good segment um do you have anything else on that or you want to go to no scene? um do we want to go to scene yeah so, so i um i think my favorite though just because i got chills um was janora getting your tattoos yeah yeah because i didn't i mean i knew she was like you knew she was going to become an air master but when she like pulls the hood off and you see her like with the shaved head and the tattoos and the music that's playing and you see Cora like getting emotional. I have a lot to say about this finale and this scene. The thing I loved about it was right before Tenzin's kind of giving a speech and it's basically how Cora is not in a position to be able to defend everyone. Um, She's like in a wheelchair everything like that and before that scene, I think it's the president of Republic City. Yes. He's kind of like, who's going to protect us now? Right. And Tenzin kind of is like, you know, the the airbenders are going to be nomads again and kind of wander and, and help whoever needs help. Right. Um, but seeing a character like Janora, who I never expected to become a big part of the show, and then getting her moment, and it's just cool to see, I guess just think in general it's cool to see like a female character, especially because she's not that old. Right, she's the same age as Aang when he yeah. got his tattoos. Um, and just seeing that there's hope for the future of the Air Kingdom and, and you know, Tenzin. The Air Kingdom. No, not Air Kingdom. Air Nation. Air Nation. Air Kingdom. Oh, I'm seeing the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. Um, just seeing Tenzin's face, knowing that there's hope. And, I don't know, just that whole scene, I think, was done so well. And she looks so much like Aang yeah. in that scene. So, I love the finale because the starting from when... Um, Asami's with Korra because you get the pan down shot and you see that she's in a wheelchair and it's been two weeks and she's oh we kind of didn't talk about the fact that she was poisoned um she was poisoned and probably you know suffering mental distress from basically getting suffocated by Zaheer and you know basically almost dying and having this poison in her that like wrecked her body and she's you know in a wheelchair and Korra's always been this strong character that relies on her strength you know and like her skills yeah and to see her beaten and broken like that and um i want to touch on two things you talked about so you talked about how tenzin gives this speech about how the air nomads are going to act as the protectors of the world while Korra is in recovery and tenzin is trying to be comforting and supportive um and to come across like we got you covered while you recover we're here for you and he he's saying it in a way that's comforting but i think Cora that breaks her i think hearing that she's not needed when she's always talked about how being the avatar is all she's ever wanted to be and being the avatar is her identity and the fact that it's basically like we don't need you right now is like tips her over the edge and the music that plays during that scene Mm -hmm. is maybe my favorite track in the entirety of of the legend of Korra other than before that scene that played during um the flashback Amon's flashback 
Uh, it's called Service and Sacrifice, if that's mm-hmm. not, you know, relevant to that. But the way the music builds as, you know, you reveal Janora getting her tattoos and her intense in sharing a moment and then you just end with Cora crying. Yeah. And, like, that breaks me every single time. I've never watched that scene and not cried, and I'm literally tearing up right now while I'm talking about it because it's such a powerful moment, and it's so sad. We end the season with a broken Korra. Yeah, but it's it's interesting because you go from Korra being so defeated to Janora, like, probably the best moment Triumphing. of her life. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see. That. Again, there's, like, that dynamic. The, um the parallels like yeah. the parallel between those two yeah and i loved i i didn't even mention you know i loved that asami and Korra scene because when you think about it they started out kind of as enemies yeah they both were in a love triangle with the same guy yeah and um and she's like i'm here for you yeah yeah and it's cool to see that bond because neither of them probably really had that many girlfriends but I love that relationship. I love that they grew on that. And I just, it's so interesting, like I said, to see that dynamic between the two of them. Right. So, top three characters. Top three characters. And then, um, all that, I got a few just quick questions yeah. about things for book four. I had such a hard time. So, I had two characters for sure that I wanted, mm-hmm. but my third one, I had six characters. I was, they were vying for third place. I agree. So, my third character, I went with Zaheer. My third character, I went with Tenzin. Okay. I just think Zaheer, such a compelling villain. Uh, we talked about how many lines he had that I loved. And I was choosing between him and it was Asami and, and Lin and Sue and Janora. You literally, here are the characters I had vying for third place. Asami, Mako, Lin, Sue, Janora. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a testament to how good they wrote the characters this season. I had such a hard time yeah. picking. But I just, to me, Zaheer was such a compelling villain. I loved all his scenes he was in. And I don't usually put a villain as one of my favorite characters, but I think he just kind of stole every scene he was in. I put um, Tenzin as number three because I think they're two characters that I liked more this season, just their story and the way their growth went. But I loved seeing his development throughout the season because as much as this was Korra's story this was also Tenzin's because it's his legacy and him Mm -hmm. carrying on Aang's legacy by teaching these new airbenders and watching the struggle of trying to get people to join I loved that you know he they're going around the earth kingdom and nobody wants to join and then they get to Ba Sing Se and they save these the air you know army and he's like, it's up to you to choose. And they all choose to join him. And he's like tearing up. And I yeah. loved seeing the emotion out of Tenzin and the growth and maturity and his relationship with Boomy. We didn't even talk about Boomy gets airbending. I, we could talk about this show for like three I know, we hours. could talk about that. But I thought um, that was, I, I loved that he got airbending because it, I felt like it maybe, it gave him a more, felt like, like a connection, closer connection with his father. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just say that I put Tenzin as number two. I put Zahir as number two. Yeah. I'm not really going to talk more about Tenzin because you basically touched on everything. I was going to say Zaheer is the same yeah. thing. He's, a very, he's the most compelling villain we've seen so yeah. far. Um, but I agree with everything you said about Tenzin. And I'm just going to guess we have the same number one, Korra. Korra. Yeah. yeah. Um, to me, because the first like book I really struggled with Korra. I did as well. Um, and she had a lot of growth. But this was the first book for me as a complete like book collection where I just enjoyed her the whole time. I think... The culmination of the first two books led to book three, Korra. 
Like, I, I think we needed to have arrogant assholey Cora mm-hmm. to get to this Cora. But I wonder if, like, I don't know why I feel like she was arrogant because, I don't know. I, I wonder if she was a male character, if I would have felt the same way. Yeah, I don't, it could, it could be bias. The, the way, here's the way I see it. She grew up in a compound. She didn't have any normal relationships or experiences in the real world and especially going to a city and she was not used to the way things were done so she comes across as very I mean I love that she's confident like I think it's great that she's confident but she definitely like has an air of like superiority at least in book one early on um it's interesting though because I think sometimes confidence in woman yeah is is um oh it's seen as like brashness and yeah yeah is viewed so much than a guy who's confident yeah um and i think with my my whole thing is i agree with you i think the first book she really was yeah she had a lot of arrogance yeah but i also think that maybe part of me is just it could i mean it could be a a a, just a a, a, an unconscious bias (laughs) yeah and you know there's so many TV shows and movies that portray these, like, confident women. They have to be, like, these horrible people. Yeah, I know. Or they have to be seen as, like, just annoying or just, like, rude right. or whatever. This whole book and, and at the end seeing her so defeated and you just got so so much dynamic with her characters. She had so much conflict with other main characters. Um, I just loved it this season. I, I think her growth and her development this season was so well done because she's still she's still confident and she still can be cocky but she knows how to communicate with people and she knows like like for instance her and the earth queen like you know she's still it's her you can see her in it but she's more diplomatic you know than like for instance her and um uh tarlock yeah you know versus her and the earth queen like some of that's still there but she's able to um approach it in a way that's not like her beating the shit, you know, like going to his office to intimidate him, right? Um, kind of deal. Um, oppress and intimidate, like he when they had the extreme meats conversation. I think we should probably move into thoughts on yes. Next. And I was going to okay. my first one is where do we go with Cora in book four? It depends on the time jump. Okay. Um, I would imagine what they're probably going to do is a little bit of a time jump, but I can't imagine that Cora will be 100% back to herself. They ended the last book with you feeling like that, where she's at mentally and where she's at physically, it's going to carry on into the next book. Um, I would hope it would at least, because you'll get to see a different side of her, something she hasn't had to deal with before. Um, So I would imagine maybe they'll do a little bit of a time jump, but I think she'll still be in kind of a vulnerable place. Right. Um, just one thing I wanted to mention, because I didn't notice it the first time I watched this uh, book three, mm-hmm. but I noticed it in my rewatch. Yes. I, I think, think I know what you're going to say. Okay. I think there's a character that's going to be introduced next book. Uh, Are you Kuvira. talking about Kuvira? Uh, yeah. So I didn't even notice the first time I watched it. They're, they never have a character say their name unless they're going to become some sort of important character. Right. Um, she was the cat. One of the captains of the Metal Tribe? Yes. She's one of um, the members of Lynn's uh, guard. And okay. she shows up a lot okay. in book three. I'm sure you notice in your rewatch. Um, she's one of the dancers. Yeah. Right at the beginning. She appears in several episodes. You see her in the newspaper 
like mm-hmm. a picture of her. Yeah, um, and you wouldn't notice it on a first watch, though. right? And I noticed, and I'm I'm imagining she'll become more of a main character. She introduced herself to Cora's dad. Yes, and said, "You can call me Kavir." Yeah. And there was a weird zoom in on her. Yeah, I also think the Red Lotus is going to continue to be a source of conflict. Okay. Um, the way Zahir sort of ended, he said, I forgot what he said, but he basically insinuated that like a revolution has begun or something like that. Also at the end, they mentioned the Red Lotus again. Right. Um, I can't imagine that will just disappear. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the airbenders come into play now that we have a whole like army of airbenders. Right. I'd be curious to see like if, a lot of the characters, like if Sue will stick around, if you'll get to keep those characters, I don't know. And I, I don't even really have an idea of what kind of villain we'll get. I, I was just going to ask you yeah. what you thought about what type of villain do you think we're going to see next season? I don't season? know, because it's like we've had a group of villains, we've had individual villains. I don't know if it'll be more of a, like the Red Lotus as a whole, because there's like an organization, so maybe it will be kind of more of a... I don't want to say this like a villain you don't necessarily know how to fight because you don't really know the extent of it right um but I'm not really sure I don't even know what kind of villain we'll have I I really don't have an idea of where they'll be going to Mm -hmm. um I'm not really sure like like you said there might be more issues with bossing say um but besides that I don't really know okay do you expect all of the characters from like book three to be relevant in book four do you think there's going to be new characters do you think there's going to be old characters returning are some people going to have less importance than other people i just am curious what your thoughts on on that are i think that in order to introduce new characters they're gonna have to put some of the characters from last season on the back burner i would think maybe lynn Either Mako or Bolin, one of the two of them. Okay. I was impressed with how well they were able to distribute out characters getting moments this last book. I agree. Um, but, like I said, in order to introduce new characters, some of those other characters have to kind of get put in the back burner. I, I would hope that Asami is going to get at least as much or more of a role. And I think the way they ended it with her and Korra getting kind of more of a relationship there... I imagine that would be built upon. I do kind of... So you you told me um, in this book that you had remembered something. So I've seen online, like on Twitter, people I follow mention Kasami? Korasami. Korasami. Yes. Um, so I don't know if uh, maybe they become an actual sort of relationship. But also, it was Nickelodeon. I don't know if they're allowed to, or if they would have actually shown, like, a female-female relationship. But I have heard stuff about that. So, it could just be more of, like, a... Like a shipping. Yeah. People see scenes together, and they kind of want them together. I'm not really sure. But I don't know. I mean, I I don't even know... I imagine some of the characters are going to have to kind of get less of a storyline... Because I imagine there will be new characters introduced who are going to kind of get more, get more time. Um, but I don't really know. So you mentioned that you would imagine that Kuvira is going to be a character in book four. Yeah. What kind of role do you see her playing? 
See, I don't know because part of me was like, maybe she could be end up becoming more of a villain, because I don't really know anything about her besides just seeing her in scenes with with the metal clan. Yeah, but also part of me is like maybe she'll become more of like an ally and just become a more important role because she is a higher up in in the metal clan. I don't know if maybe her getting more time will take away from like Lynn because they're comparable and in their fighting and right um similar i guess stories um but i'm not really sure i also don't have a guess for the title how do you think the show's gonna end i don't know okay i literally (laughs) have no idea okay my my ideal ending would either be like i said like seeing them all in the spirit world just hanging out or just like cora and like maybe if she ends up with asami them just like piecing out into the sunset together Okay, that's it. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) We would like to thank Joseph McDade for our intro music. He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at r3podcasts at gmail.com. That's R, the number three, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram by searching Research Rank Repeat.